0: Well, good morning. good morning. That's such a great, great song and reminder of just kind of what our our focus should be, where where our and what I, fo- when I say by focus, I mean our hearts, our souls, our minds, to give us clean hands and pure hearts, and, and not seek for satisfaction or fulfillment uh, in anywhere else. And, and really, that, that fits so well into what we're talking about uh, today. Um, I'm curious as we jump into this today, now we are a week and a half into this new year. We're about two and a half weeks clear of Christmas. How, <coughs> excuse me. We learn how to talk real quick. <laughs> I wonder how many of you guys, um, you found a home for all the new Christmas presents you might have gotten. Anybody still have Christmas presents just kind of stacked in the corner? like you're You haven't really found a good spot for them yet. Our kids are this way. Like, they got, you know, the new toys, and we haven't really found a good spot to put the new toys. And in particular, uh, Jennifer's grandma sent the girls uh, money, and so they went to the store, and so far, this has worked out, but they put their money together to buy a bigger thing than they could have bought individually, and and so far, they're both still living. Neither one of them have killed the other one over it yet. We'll see if that continues, but that stuff right now, it's kind of just, like, in their room, there's not a good spot for it. Like, we haven't found a good home for it yet. And that's kind of the way I think a lot of us tend to go. Um, but I, I look back, and and, and uh, have you guys ever watched the show Hoarders on, on there? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but but how many of you that show hit a little close to home, you know? I watched a few episodes, and, like, with my OCD, I couldn't do it. Like, I, I just couldn't continue watching it. And that's the, the, the thing about it is... It, I could so easily fall into that trap of, of just having stuff, you know, and not quite to the extent that some of those folks did, but, but just having stuff, and um, I think about how often I need to go through my garage or through, you know, my closet and clean stuff out. We, we've been trying to declutter uh, our kids' stuff or clothes that we haven't worn in years or clothes that don't fit anymore or all of that type of stuff and, and, and just clear some things out, uh, I wonder too, and I don't want to see a show of hands here, so, so keep your hands down, but I'm curious how many of you guys maybe have or, or at some point have used a storage facility simply because you don't have room at your home for your stuff. I'm seeing a hand when I said don't show me hands, so now I've got some judgment happening here, but... Um, <laughs> We've used one at one point in time, but it was kind of when we were in transition. Like we, we didn't really have a home of our own, so we, we had to put all of our stuff in one for a few months. But but I'm wondering if you, some people have a storage unit simply because they don't have room at their home or in their garage or, or storage shed. And it's kind of funny how you go back and forth here. Like when we lived in Oklahoma, we had a... A small house, uh, three bedroom, but it had a big garage. It had a full attic. We had a shed. And we had plenty of uh, of space to put stuff. And then we moved to Arizona into a two bedroom apartment that was about 800 square feet with a tiny little outdoor closet. And then we moved from there to our house here, which has a couple of of, of living areas. And, and suddenly we were like, oh well, we don't have enough stuff now. <laughs> you know, we went from having too much stuff to this apartment, to now we don't have enough stuff for where we're at. Stuff gets kind of relative, right? I want to do a little exercise as we, we get ready to jump into this this morning. Uh, we're, we're in week two of this series called Faith and Finance, and the reason we're talking about this is because the Bible has plenty to say about money. In fact, the, 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 the Bible talks as much about money as it does almost any other topic, and Jesus talks as much about money and finance as he does almost any other topic. So we're going to do a little exercise here to start off. I'm going to put a word up here on the screen, and what I want you to do, I know many of you are taking notes, if you're not taking notes, I want you to do something, grab your phone, get it out, and just pull up your notes or or a text or something on there where you can make a note, you can write something down, because I'm going to put a word up here, and when I put the word up there, you can whisper it out loud, you can say it in your head, but I want you to write down exactly what you think this word means. Okay, ready for it? Here it is. Don't overthink it. The first thing that pops in your head, write it down. Okay. Now, here's why I did this. This is two words. Depending on how you pronounce this word is going to depend on what the word is. So let me see something real quick. And again, I I wanted you to do this with your first instinct, not overthink this. How many of you wrote it down, pronouncing it this way? You emphasize the first syllable, Content. Because content is a noun. It's stuff. You know, it's, it's what you can accumulate. How many of you wrote it down this way, where you emphasize the second syllable? That's a verb or an adjective, content. Those two words, to some degree, are far apart. One means stuff. The other means that you're at peace. At some level, at some degree of peace. Now, here's the thing. That this is why the English language is just so fun. Because you get words like this, and unless you know the context around the word, you don't know what the word means. Now, this word that we get that can be pronounced content or content, it actually comes from the same root Latin word. And that root Latin word originally meant to be satisfied. So we would get more of that second one, content, that that verb, that adjective, that can be used either way. But somewhere along the line, we have intermingled these two. And we have taken our ability or desire to be satisfied, and it has tied in with accumulation or acquisition. And so suddenly those have become synonymous. We become content when we gain content. That's happened with a lot of us. Now, let's just call it what it is, because there's a big word that goes on top of it. It's materialism. And I'll be very honest with you guys right up front today. I may be the only person in this room I'm preaching to because I probably need to hear this sermon more than I need to give this sermon. But I do think I'm probably not the only one because there are agencies out there in our country, in our our culture, in our world today making billions upon billions of dollars simply by selling goods for other people because they know we need things and we want things. Uh, When you... When I was in, in, in college, I was a journalism major and we had to take one or two classes from all the cross majors within the journalism school. Advertising and marketing are part of that. So I got to take a couple of advertising and marketing classes. They teach you how to tap into somebody's needs, how to appeal something to, to people. And, and, and man, they, they know what they're doing with that. And I want to take a step back from this today because I want to see this for what it is. I, I want you to, to start kind of getting a comparison of, of this Greed versus contentment mindset that so many of us can have. And, and here's why I want to, want to take a step back and look at this. We, we talked about this last week when we started setting this, this series up by talking about how we don't own anything. H- here's the reason. Money, folks, money is very spiritual. Okay? What I, here, here's, here's what I mean by that. If you've got a Bible, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to camp out there for just a little bit. But we're going to look at what I'm talking about here when I say money is spiritual. Okay, that doesn't mean if you've got a couple bucks in your wallet that, oh man, these are, these are spiritual things. That's not quite what I mean. It's what that represents, it's what it's all about. 1 Timothy chapter 6, we'll start in verse 6. If you've got a Bible, we're just going to kind of go through this passage here a little bit at a time. Here's what Paul, the apostle, is writing to Timothy, his, his protege. He set Timothy up to, to take over the ministries that, Paul, that he has started. And here's what he tells him, verse 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. Now, if you know the context here, if you know Paul, it's probably easy to say, well, yeah, that's easy for Paul to say, be content. It's easy for Paul to say, we, don't, we didn't bring anything so we can take nothing. Because if you know about Paul, Paul didn't have much. Paul didn't chase after much. Paul moved from place to place. In fact, you read through the book of Acts, where, where a lot of the churches Paul writes letters to, he, he visits, he's only there for a few months at a time. There, there's one church, he's there for like two years, and that's, that's a long stretch for Paul. He, his job is to go get a church started and move on. That, that's what he did. So as such, Paul didn't accumulate much. Paul worked whatever jobs he could find, just to, to have a little bit of money on the side to buy food, or to pay for lodging, or to support other people. So it's easy for Paul, somebody who doesn't have much, to say, well, you don't need much. Okay, it's always easy to say that when you're on the other end not having anything. But that last part of that verse, when he says we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it, Paul isn't quoting himself from an original standpoint here. Paul's actually quoting two of the wealthiest people ever mentioned in the Bible. The first one is Job. Job chapter 1, if you don't know the story of Job, he's an an incredibly wealthy man. Okay, the Bible says that he had uh, seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and a large number of servants. And he loses all of it. Because Satan uh, is convinced that, that Job is only blameless and only worships and glorifies God because God's blessed him beyond measure. And so God says, fine. You can, you can see how, how deep his roots lie, how, how deep his loyalties lie. So all that's gone. His, his livestock is stolen. His children are killed. And here's what Job says after all of this happens. In Job chapter 1, verse 21, he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. The other person that Paul is quoting here is Solomon. Solomon is, uh, by all accounts, uh, the wisest, and most scholars think the wealthiest person who has ever lived. And here's what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, "'Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. I have watched my three kids be born. None of them came out of the womb with anything in their hands.'" None of them came out of the womb clothed, okay? Uh, when when, uh, when uh, my, my grandpa passed away, my papa, we, we put stuff in his casket. I haven't checked in the last 10 years, but I'm assuming that stuff's still in his casket, okay? Like some baseball hats and little knick-knack types of things. I have a feeling those are still in that casket. They didn't go beyond uh, that little plot of land in Miami, Oklahoma. It's easy to talk about how little you need when you don't have much. But again, here's Job who had everything and lost it. Here's Solomon who's had everything and is looking back on his life going, man, what a waste of time chasing after all this stuff. Ecclesiastes, man, that's an uplifting book if you haven't read it. Because <laughs> he's looking back on life going, man, all that stuff I worked so hard for, whoo, that was worth it. <laughs> no, he, he sees that. He sees that, that this was just, uh, it's, it's, it's uh, futility is what he says. It's vain, He uses those phrases over and over. Folks, you can so easily get caught up in the trap of consumerism and the allure of materialism chasing after the latest and greatest. It's easy to do. Those commercials make it look like we need it. And and you know how our our phones work these days. If you say it, Facebook's going to show you an ad for it. Okay? Uh, We were talking about this the other day, and, and... We were just having a conversation, Jennifer and I, about something that we we thought we might be interested in buying. And I mean, I'm not joking. Like five minutes later, I have an ad for it on Facebook. We hadn't Googled it, nothing. You know, and I said, hey, I think our phones are spying on us. And she laughed, and I laughed, and Elsie laughed, and my phone laughed. And I mean, it was crazy (laughs) what was happening, you know. But here's the thing, folks advertisers are experts at telling you what you need. But here's what it boils down to. You need to remember this. We don't need more stuff. We need more of God. Amen. We don't need more stuff. We need more of God. And folks, with everything that's going on in our country and in our world right now, we need more of God. We need to focus on Him because in Him only lies truth. And we need that. And we can allow ourselves to get so so, so distracted and pointed in the wrong direction when we're not looking at his truth. Continue on in 1 Timothy 6, if you're still there, verse 8. It says, but if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. I got a question here for you. How many of you are, you're, you're like me? And what I mean by that is, I'm good at accumulating things. Okay, you don't have to show me your hands if you don't want to, but I'm good at accumulating things. And in particular, when I get into a hobby... I go all in, okay? I don't just dip my toe and think, let's see if I'm going to like this. No, I just jump straight into the deep end of the pool. And several years ago, I decided I wanted to start uh, duck hunting. And so at first, I just got a shotgun and, you know, a set of waders and some some camo. And by the next season, I had about 10 dozen decoys and a string full of calls and all the stuff that I could ever need, plus two or three more people if you ever want to come with me. Like, I made sure, you know, (laughs) I don't have to rely on anybody else, I'm I'm set, I'm ready to go. I'm that way. And that, that allows you to very quickly accumulate a lot of things and think that you need a lot of things. Let's be honest, folks. Have any of you ever gotten to a point where you have been given one more thing and you're like, okay, that's it. I don't ever need anything else. This completes my life. Now, I have only when I've completed a specific collection, and and I don't say it completes my life. It's like, no, it completes this task. (laughs) I don't need any more of these because I have all these now. Now, we can so easily just continue down this road of needing and wanting more. And and, and I think about this because often when we talk about needing more, it's really not stuff, if we're being honest. It's, It's money. And, and, and we do need money for certain things. We have bills to pay. We have to put food on the table. We have to put gas in our car and, and, and pay rent or pay our mortgage, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But often, folks, often we don't have enough in our account because as maybe our, the amount in our account increases, so too does our style of living or our desire for more things. And like, well, you know, I'm making more now so we can afford this now. And so everything stays relative. And when everything stays relative, things are, are going to get a bit tight. Maybe we go ahead and complete that collection on our hobbies, or, or we take up a, a new more expensive hobby, or we get that premium package of Hulu, or, or whatever it might be. You just continue to move on up. And I think about this because that's a, that's a dangerous path to be on if you're, if you're not checking yourself, or if you're not allowing somebody else to check you. Folks, when you can't be content with the content that you have, uh, that's naturally going to lead to discontentment and dissatisfaction. And what I found in my own heart, you can can search your own heart and see what you find, but what I found in my own heart is when I can't be content with what I have, suddenly I start getting dissatisfied with the one that provided for me. And whether that's an employer, whether that was my parents when I was a kid, because I'll be honest, that was me with my parents when I was a kid. I was a teenager. I I remember having it out with my parents one day. And, you know, 15-year-old Kurt knew better. And I remember just being furious with my parents because they didn't make enough money for me to have some of the things my friends had. And looking back at it, my dad working two jobs and my mom working a full-time job doing some extra work on the side. Man, I feel pretty proud of myself for that moment because it's easy to do that especially now that the tables are turned and I have to explain to my kids why we can't do certain things because they don't understand that just like I didn't at that age and I think even as adults we can be this way because we can reflect this back on God and it's easy to say well God why didn't you give me this high paying job or this, this, this specific set of talents why didn't you give that to me you gave it to so and so why not me maybe just maybe God knows your heart a little better than you do. I like to joke that it's probably a good thing I'm not a millionaire or a billionaire because I know exactly what I would do with that money. Let's just say it involves a major league baseball team and um, trying to figure out how to build an actual working lightsaber. There's a reason I don't have money, okay? Let's just put it that way. I wouldn't do the most <laughs> wonderful things with it. They'd be great things for me, but probably not for anybody else, right? Right? God knows your heart. Here's what he he says. Paul continues on in in verse 9 of 1 Timothy 6. He says, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I'm going to show you these two verses again. I highlighted three parts of this because he's really jumped out to me. Verse nine, he says, "Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap." Does that mean anybody who gets rich can't be a faithful Christian? Absolutely not. But when that's your main desire, it's hard to need something besides what you can provide for yourself. Second, he says they they fall into many foolish and harmful desires and plunge into ruin and destruction. There's always that temptation, no matter how much you have, to want more. And look at verse 10. This might be probably the most misquoted verse in all the Bible. Because often people say that money is the root of all evil. That's not what he says. He says the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. In other words, when you are focused on how much you have only, and and, and your focus and your goal is to acquire more, more than anything else, that's setting yourself up for failure. It's setting yourself up to 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 be knocked off your feet because suddenly your faith isn't in God anymore, it's in yourself and what you can provide or others can provide for you. Again, the Bible has so much to say about money, and it doesn't say that it's wrong to have money or it's wrong to be wealthy. I've gotten to know many people who have been very blessed financially, and some I would call them rich or wealthy people, um, and, and, and they have great careers. They're serving the Lord. One of the, the things I got to do when I spent the year in, in Phoenix was at a multi-site church, and one of their campuses was in Scottsdale, and specifically North Scottsdale. If you know that area, that's a, one of the wealthiest communities in the country, and I got to tell you, it was, it was funny because that particular church staff is one of the more unique church staffs you'll find. Because almost all of them came from some background that set them up financially before they got into ministry. And here I come across town in our old uh, fixed-up Chevy Metro, pulling into this parking lot full of $50,000 cars. It was very clear who was the resident there and who was, <laughs> who was the church staff. And it was I could tell I was so far out of my league because I would go meet one of the home group leaders and I said, where do you want to meet for lunch? And he would mentioned the name of some country club that I never heard of. And I pulled up thinking, do I fit the dress code? I mean, I don't, I don't even know if I can be allowed in the doors. And what I found out is the people who worked there had money, but money didn't have them. In particular, there was a, a guy, he's actually the campus pastor there, his name's Ross. Ross was a multimillionaire before he got into ministry. He was always faithful, he was a Christian, him and his his sister owned a business, the business exploded, they sold it for eight figures. And what I loved about Ross was not just his heart, not just that he was a good, kind person who was easy to follow, Ross didn't shy away from what he had. He didn't try to pretend like he didn't have money. He lived in a nice house, he drove a nice car, but he didn't let that control him. He didn't let that define him. And what was unique about that and what's helpful about that is Ross is able to relate to those people making seven figures a year. I certainly can't. I certainly can't. We had people who, who served in that campus faithfully every week uh, who showed up and helped people find their seats or served coffee or stood next to me greeting people as they walked in the door who owned 50 plus businesses across the Phoenix area, making more money than I could ever even think about owning. And you would have never once thought, man, this is just a snooty person. Because again, they owned their money. Their money didn't own them. They didn't allow what they had to dictate and determine who they were. Again, I'm not ever going to promise you that God's going to bless you with riches because you're faithful to him. That's, that's the prosperity gospel. That's a false gospel. You should run away from that. But I think this... I think God knows you well enough to know what you're capable of doing with what you have. And I think there's something that we need to, to look into that. There's that old you know, old quote from, from Scripture, he who can be trusted with little can be trusted with a lot. And I, I think back, I talked about Rick Warren last week. Um, how, you know, he, he, he said, many people have said to me, you know, well, if, if God would just bless me with a book deal like he blessed you, I'd, I'd be as generous as you are. And Rick said, no, you wouldn't be, because I'm as generous now as I was 25 years ago before I wrote the book. I just have more to be generous with. He said, I'm not trying to be judgmental when I say that. He goes, I just, I have, I've tried really hard to not change. And so many of us, I think, have this in our mind. If we just have more, we can do more. If we just have more, we can well, then, then I'll give. Then I'll be generous. And that's such, it's such a difficult trap. Because often when we're saying, if I just had more, we're trying to accumulate more on our own. And we're chasing, we're chasing an idol. And that's not something God's going to honor. Because here's the truth, we need, to, we need to really understand this, folks. Greed is idolatry. It is. It's, it's plain and simple idolatry. I think it's easy to think about greed being kind of this... This bad trait, you know, kind of like pride, kind of like, uh, you know, whatever bad traits or habits you might have. It's like, well, you know, I just, I just have this little greed problem. No, there's no little greed problem. <laughs> there's just a greed problem. Uh, Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, don't you realize those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of those will inherit the kingdom of God. He just listed off ten things there. And of those ten things, you might think, man, really just being greedy? That's the same as, like, you know, all these other things? (laughs) Like being greedy is on par with... Cheating on my spouse? Yeah, according to Paul, it is. According to Paul, it is. And he's very specific in in Colossians 3 that he says greed is an idol. Colossians 3, he writes this, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Idol worship is when you put anything above God. It's when you make something the focus of who you are and what you do. And and so for greed, it's when you decide you want or need something physical that you can hold on to that's man-made more than you want or need God. And folks, that is a very, very easy trap that many of us have likely fallen into many times before if, if we're not right now. Because it's so easy for us as independent Americans to do things on our own and not need somebody else, including God, to step in front of us, and that may seem little, and maybe it is, but those little things can chip away and become big things, and we've got to be very careful to not fall into that trap. Again, I'll be honest with you: I am guilty of it. I am guilty of it. I've struggled with contentment throughout my life. I I, I still do at times, and. and I wish it was just I could push a button and it would go away. It's something I need to work on all the time and remind myself what I have comes from God, what I have I've been blessed with from God, so therefore I need to focus back on God and not worry about more, not worry about bigger and better. We had a conversation about that this week even, my wife and I did, because it's a struggle for me. And, And especially in the last year, you know, with COVID basically restricting things and shutting things down, uh, you know, where we can't go travel or we can't go visit and do things and, and see people, man, it's been so much easier just to get on Amazon and get a few things here and there. It's, it's, uh, it's been so easy just to, you know, take advantage of that free shipping and accumulate more stuff. Here's kind of what I thought about this week. I sat down and I just started kind of letting my, my thoughts trail and thought, man, if I've got a problem with greed, I need to know where it comes from and I need to know how to fix it. And here's kind of what I, what I came up with. Here's the first thing. Greed is a direct result of not finding contentment. When you can't be content, then you want more. That's just natural. natural. And you often hear about you know, professional athletes or business leaders or people who are trying to get more. They'll talk about never settle, don't be content, you always want more. I hear that a lot with, you know I, I started watching a, uh, or not watching, but, but doing a, an online um, workout because the gyms are closed. And so that's what he keeps telling you, don't settle for that, get one more. You know, you hear that a lot. But when it comes to our hearts and our souls, it's okay. It's okay to settle for what we have. Here's the problem, though. I think often when we have an amount, I think we justify it by not, we're not saying like, you know what, I've got $100,000, I don't need another $100,000, I just need a little bit more. Most millionaires aren't looking for their next million, they're looking for a little bit more. Most people who have $100, they're just looking for a little bit more. That's how we can justify that, Right? But it doesn't matter if it's a little bit or a lot. If we're looking for more constantly, that, that's what we're just going to continue to do. That's the trap of gambling. I don't know if you've ever seen people uh, at, at a casino. It's always they just want a little bit more. They're not looking to get rich. They just want a little bit more. Uh, my my. my my mimi, my grandma used to. They used to go out there a lot. And the way those work, if if you haven't seen one of those newer machines, is you just put a certain amount of money in and you play it till the money's gone or till you cash out. Well, she'd put in like five or ten dollars and play a penny penny machine. So it's a penny a push. So she'd sit there all night on like five bucks. But the way those machines work, or any kind of gambling works, is you don't win big unless you bet big. You know, like she might hit a. a she she won ten to one. Well, she's betting a penny, so she won a dime. You know, you're not walking out of the casino with your head held high if you're winning a few dimes. It's easy to fall into the trap though of saying, well, what if I bet a dollar around? Okay, now I won ten bucks. What if I bet ten bucks? Okay, now I won hundred. What if I bet? I mean, you just see where this is going, right? It's so easy to get caught in the trap of wanting just a little bit more, but folks, a little bit more often leads to a spiral going in the wrong direction. So if greed is a direct result of of contentment, where does that come from? Well, I think it's this way. The foundation for greed is comparison. I mean, that's, that's been a trap for years for us, and social media has only made it worse, because now... Not just my neighbors can see what I have. Anybody can see what I have. And we don't always post the mundane things on Facebook. No, what do we post? Hey, check out my new car. Look at this trip we went on. Check out this new stuff I just got. And what do we think? Man, that's pretty cool. I'd like to have that. (laughs) I wish I had that. I wish I could do that. And we quit looking at what we have and we start looking at what we don't have. And when we're constantly comparing, you can't possibly see what God has blessed you with. The Bible is very clear about that. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 1, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Boy, that kind of hits. That kind of punches right in the chest, doesn't it? Paul had something else to say, a very famous verse in Romans chapter 12. He said it this way, don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. I, I love that because that, that verse always has such importance to me when I was a student at the University of Oklahoma was a part of a campus ministry in, in our, our home that we had, that we got to meet at. It was this old, I think I've told you about it, this old abandoned movie theater, and we called it Rome 12, and that's what it stood for was right there, because we're in the middle of a major public university, and we wanted it to be clear, we're not here to copy the behavior of the world, but we're here to let God transform us so that hopefully we can transform the world around us. Folks, it's easy to see what everyone has and what they're doing and want to keep up. Very easy. And again, this isn't so much about keeping up with the trends or, or you know, wearing trendy clothes or having a decent car or having a nice... That's, that's not what it's about. It's not wrong to have those things. But it's wrong to chase those things and make them your primary objective in life. It's wrong to make that what you hope to be defined by. In fact, I'll just ask it this way. What's more important to you? Having a holy life or a glamorous life? What's more important? Having all the things you could possibly want or pleasing God? Here's the, the, the third part of this. The antidote for greed is generosity. If you're constantly just trying to accumulate and protect that's dangerous. But folks, if you have it, you should be willing to share it. I I heard this this phrase, it kind of stuck with me, Uh, if you can't loan it, don't own it. Uh, I think about, you know, one of the things, if you come in my office, you see I've got a ton of books, and I, I like to add to that. And part of the reason I like to add to that is I like to be able to hand those out. You know, it's so easy these days to just download books to a Kindle or to your iPad, but I'm not sending my iPad with somebody for a week. Sorry, I, I love you guys, but not that much. But I'll gladly send you a book that you can keep. In fact, some of you, I think, still have books right now. I've got to keep track and see who's got what. Because <laughs> I love being able to hand those out and let you read through those like I did. And, 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 and hopefully it can impact you the way it impacted me, or maybe it impacts you more than it impacted me. To, to spread that out and to share that. Because here's the thing, if you have plenty... We said this last week, if you have more than enough, if God's given you more than you need, it's probably not your needs he has in mind. He's hoping and and wishing for you to share with the kingdom, to share with those in need. We've been using this verse kind of throughout this, this series, but Matthew 6, Jesus gives us that famous verse about where our treasure is, there our heart will be. I looked this up and I love how the message translates this. Look what it says, the place where your treasure is, is the place you most want to be and where you end up being. Again, where your treasure is, where it is right now, present tense, that's where your heart is going to wind up. So if your treasure is in the people of this world, that's where your heart's going to be. If your treasure is in storing up things so you can have them for as long as you want, guess what? That's where your heart's going to be. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be will be. And finally, here's what you need to know. The key to becoming more generous is becoming more like Jesus. Plain and simple. Becoming more like God. Because God certainly gave. John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him wouldn't perish, but would have eternal life. Folks, it's not wrong to want things. Again, we all have things that we want I. I always say I'm one of the hardest people to Christmas shop for because my Christmas list is stuff that's way too expensive and impractical for people to buy. It's stuff that maybe I'll save up and buy at some point. But here's the thing, if, if I went out today and bought those things that were on my list, in the process I neglected taking care of my family, and I neglected sharing with the church, and I neglected sharing with the kingdom, and I neglected helping others, and I made that my main focus, that's where it starts to get dangerous. That's where it starts to become a problem. God's not opposed to you having a a full and happy life, but not at the expense of you having a holy life. And Folks, there's no room for greed in his kingdom. We don't need more stuff. We need more Jesus. Father, we're so thankful for Jesus who, who gave up everything. He gave up the throne of heaven to come to earth like us. He gave up that throne, he gave up the riches of heaven to come put on our our very limited human skin to reach us. Because he loved us, because he saw what was more important than stuff. It was restoration with you. God, I pray as we move into these next few moments and and prepare for a time of, of communion, God, that you would show us, show us with that clean heart looks like. That we could approach you, Lord, without all the stuff, without all of the the desire and the need for, for more and more and more. God, let us see what it's like to humbly follow you so that we can pursue you first and foremost. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.